started this morning. I heard the bell ring, so that's my cue that it is time to off, get off to the races. Everybody get a handout this morning. If you didn't get a handout, raise your hand. I think Brother Wayne's helping me get them out to everybody. Hey, Wayne, I'm going to give you the rest of these. That's my extras. If you're coming in and haven't got a handout yet, just raise your hand so Wayne knows and he'll get you one. We get started here this morning. It's good to have everybody here present. Thought about putting on my pink coat and standing up here with my pink coat on. That way, keep y'all's attention on me. Uh, You wouldn't be able to miss me. But uh, I told my wife, I said, I'll burn up. I have a coat on. So uh, y'all just have to look for me in my pink coat afterwards. We, uh, one of those things you can't wear it too often because if you do, people will remember, hey, you wore that last week. So the rest of my suits, you know, you you don't know which navy blue suit I wore from week to week. So, uh, Anyways, well, good to see y'all this morning. We are going to get started in James chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to that section of Scripture, we'll be heading off. And I plan to get through the whole chapter, believe it or not, today. We're going to see if that happens. My wife says it's impossible. I'll hardly get through the introduction. And uh, we're going to see. Any prayer requests or uh, updates? I do see Brother Magoo here this morning. It's good to see you here, George. I uh, am thankful you're with us this morning. So I'm glad you could be back with us. Anybody else? Any other updates on announcements? Of course, we don't want to remember the Johnston family and our prayers. Um, the funeral was Friday, is that correct? And uh, so keep them in our prayers. I know, uh, talked to Freddie as he was driving back, and he said everything went well. So I'm assuming everything did go well, uh, and everybody's gotten back home okay and safely. Uh, but keep them in our prayers, of course. Um, anything else? Any other requests this morning? All right, well, let's open, off, uh, open our class with a word of prayer. Please bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for another day that we could wake up and enjoy your creation. And God, we're thankful for another time of Bible study that we can gather together and open up your word. Lord, we're thankful for all those that are here that have seen the importance of being together on a Sunday morning and studying your Bible together as a family. God, we ask that you be with us as we study from James chapter 3 today and we discuss the the problems of the tongue and uh, help us to to, kind of dig deep in ourselves, to try and challenge ourselves to do better with our tongues, to try and make sure you're a part of our lives so that we'll be able to control our tongue because you are within us. God, we are thankful for the many blessings that you've showered upon our heads when we do not deserve them. We're thankful for the creation around us, the homes, our, our cars, all the physical things that we have. And, but more than that, Lord, we're thankful for the spiritual blessings that we have. And God, we know that it is because of your Son that we have a chance for eternal life, and it's because of you sending your Son that he even was able to die on the cross for our sins. And God, we are thankful for that sacrifice and thankful for that blessing that we, we don't deserve. God, we ask you to be with us at this time period of Bible study. Be with us again in the next hour as we enter into worship, and we praise and glorify and magnify you. And Lord, we hope that all we do is done in spirit and in truth and pleasing and acceptable on your side. So in Jesus' name that we offer this prayer. Amen. You know, the story's told about a woman who comes in and talks to her preacher and says, you know, hey, uh, you know, I know I've done some wrong things with uh, my tongue, and I have uh, said things that were not proper. I, I have you know, talked about people. In fact, you know, the preacher's in the back of his mind thinking, yeah, she's a, she's a gossip. You know, she's a well-known gossip in the church. 
And uh, she says, uh, you know, you know, I really want to just lay these sins down at the altar. I want to, you know, I just really want to just, you know, I want to confess and I want to come forward and, and just pretty much lay these things out for everybody. And then the minister looked at her and said, you know, that there really isn't like an altar big enough for all, all the stuff that you've been involved in. And, and sadly, sadly, that may be what can be said about us sometimes with the tongue. I can't think of a more damaging thing than a, a sour or a, an ill-suited word. I, I can't think of something that can cause more damage than an insult or name-calling or the gossiping. If you look back in the course of history, it has torn apart kingdoms because you've had two-facedness. And you think about the Roman, the the Greek empires. Those have all crumbled. Why? Because you've had infighting and you've had two-facedness and you've had hypocrisy among people who thought they were friends. And in fact, you know, Brutus stabbed him in the back, didn't he? Literally and figuratively. He thought he was his friend. And instead, Caesar experienced some of the deepest, deepest betrayal. From the tongue. Uh, our tongues, unfortunately, can be a huge, huge problem in our lives. And I think as you see in James chapter 3, it was not just a problem for us today, but it's always been a problem. That's not something new. I think we've talked about this before, but not, there's not many sins that are new under the sun. They just keep coming back to us. And in fact, this is one that can cause irreparable damage because we can't take words back. You know, I, I like to think about, I've been multiple seminars and and, um, you know, things about employee etiquette when you're sending out emails. I don't know if y'all have ever had that in your jobs or not. But, you know, there's always a word of caution there. Of review your email before you hit send because you cannot ever get it back again. Those words are out there. And much like one of those emails that are sent in today's world that are always there, and I'll tell you, they can almost always be recovered. Uh, they can always be read. Words that are said cannot be taken back either. And although we can forgive of sins, we can forgive someone who may say something against us, we can uh, tell them that we forgive them and we're not holding that all against them. Sometimes it struggles for us in the forgiveness aspect of actually really forgiving and not holding it against them because in the back of our minds, we're always thinking about what they said because those words just can't be taken back. Now, when you look at the context of James chapter 3, what I want to point out to you there, it's not just talking about really everyday language, to be honest with you. The the context of James chapter 3 is talking about those who are teaching the church. And so those who are teaching the church are warned, they are um, exhorted, they are encouraged to watch their tongue. Now, I think that it can also be applicable as you go down and, and you think about the everyday life of Christians. Uh, and I think that's really kind of where James is going there as well. As he, after he gets past the teaching aspect, he does talk about the power of the tongue. And we're going to get into those different powers today. But, you know, you think in the immediate context of, of applicability to those who are teaching or talking about the word of God. It could be us privately. It could be us publicly. Speaking, talking, uh, using the word of God. We need to be careful about what our words do and what our words are saying. Making sure they're properly uh, context with regard to spiritual wisdom, as the latter part of chapter 3 gets into. But what we see in these verses in James chapter 3 are verses that encourage us to really take a double take and to really consider and to really think before we speak. 
because the words that we have and the, the things that we can say have tremendous power that can go around. In fact, the power of speech is probably one of the greatest powers that God has given us. With a tongue, you know, man can praise God, men can pray, uh, we can preach the word, we can lead the lost to Christ. It's, you know, what a privilege it is to have that kind of a, an ability and that kind of a power within those words that we speak. But with that same tongue, you know, man can tell lies that could ruin a man's reputation. They can break a person's heart. They can shatter relationships that have been built up over the years and, and many, many hours and, and large efforts of time. They can tear down the walls of a church, both literally and probably fig- figuratively. Words can be powerful on the negative side as well. And the ability to speak words is ultimately the ability to influence others, either for the good or the bad, and to accomplish tremendous tasks. And yet we take this ability, I believe, for granted every day. Those of us, and Mark Davidson gives me a hard time. He tells me I have the gift of gab, and and he's probably right. Uh, My wife says that. That's why she said I can't get through the introduction of a lesson before it's time to be over with. Uh, I just talk. I had no problem talking. never have really had a problem talking. I remember when I was a kid... And I got up and did my first lesson before people. I was probably no, no bigger than 10 or 11 years old and did a, a kind of a Sunday evening kind of thing, kind of like Seeds and Lights does. But they actually, I actually got up in the pulpit and I had to step on some steps. And I remember getting up there and I did a lesson about the calling of Andrew as an apostle. That was my lesson. And I remember I still have actually the note cards from it. And uh, I read it. I was nervous, though. In fact, I believe I slipped as I went up the stage a little bit on my shoes. They were a little slick on the bottom, you know, and I slicked on the rug a little bit and, you know, kind of kind of made me a little worried and got up in the pulpit and, you know, I was, I was nervous, but I didn't have any trouble talking. <laughs> I was nervous, but had no trouble ever talking. And that's the way I am today. Uh, I'm, I'm still nervous when I get up and speak and teach because I want to make sure what I say is right. And I think that's what it gets down into when we think about the, the power of the tongue, whether you have the gift of the gab or you don't. Our tongue can give incredible influence to others. Uh, in my household, when this is, and I'll move on after I give this example, but in my house, as I get angry or get upset with my daughter sometimes, you know, I will use words, not, not bad words by, by any means, but I will use words to convey my anger with them. And they get it pretty quickly. Tone and inflection is also an important part of that, but they understand when daddy's not happy with them. It's because of the words that I say. On the flip side, they also know whenever I give them praise and I try to encourage them. It's the words that I say that can mean a lot. And if I were to choose the wrong words at the wrong times, I could cause possibly irreparable damage. As a parent, we think about those things. Because you you really think about forming those children and bringing them up and nurturing the admonition of the Lord. But sometimes in our personal Christian lives, we don't always think about our words to each other. In this crazy world of Facebook and tweet, uh, Twitter and, Insta- uh, and, and all those other social media, I'm not going to list them all. You know, you've got kids today, if we were to go up and talk to the, the teenagers, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll flip on there and they'll, they'll, they'll make a little saying whatever they're doing at that moment in time. And me and Monica always joke around about it. It's like, you know, I don't want my whole life on, online. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sure it doesn't don't make any sense to you. Uh, those of the older generation, I think a lot of times just look at them, just shake their head and just think, y'all are crazy. And I think they are crazy because they don't realize that their words are out there and they cannot be taken back. And I will tell you, there are times I've prosecuted individuals for things that they've posted online because the words that they have used are not good things. 
So the words that we use in life are something that can influence, can impact, can bring about certain results to other individuals. It can truly make a difference in both the positive and the negative in our lives. And we've got to understand, as James tries to point out here, the importance of having controlled speech. And the great consequences that our words, as James says, has upon our lives and those lives that are around us. Real quickly, look with me, James chapter 3, verses 1 through, we're going to go all the way down to verse 12 real quickly. I want to read this so I can speed through and talk about these different pictures because I do intend to get through this chapter this, this time. So we've got 30 minutes to get through the rest of this chapter. So y'all look with me. Let's read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that, uh, that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course for our life. And it's set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and it's full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send forth or send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Now, I think if you see here in, in, this, in this section of scriptures, you're going to see ultimately six pictures that point out three different powers of the tongue. And I want to quickly go over those with us. You've seen previously in the book of James, just a little bit of a review. The first chapter, of course, encourages us that mature Christians are patient. There's a certain mindset when we deal with troubles and tribulations and things that come into our way, those trials that confront us on a daily basis. We're supposed to be patient. If we're mature Christians, if we are growing up like we should in Christ and in the Lord, uh, that spiritual maturity is going to bring about patience for us. Chapter 2 tells us that those that are growing up, those that have matured spiritually, are those that are also going to be practicing truth. It's not just going to be something you know, it's going to be something that you do. And that's what James tells us there. But what we see in James chapter 3 now is that the mature Christian, in fact, is someone who controls and, and has power over his tongue. And so as we go through the rest of this chapter, hopefully we're going to underscore and understand the things and the ways that we can pursue this control and this taming of the tongue. We can't do it by ourselves, as we've already said here. So how do we do that? Hopefully we'll get to that and be able to discuss that this morning. But James here uses, I believe, six picturesque examples for us. Uh, 
I love the way he just uses kind of real day, everyday kind of uh, things to analogize the points that he's trying to make. And, and here to the Christians, it would have made a lot of sense to them if you think contextually uh, of what they lived in and what they lived around. We're not going to get into all of that cultural significance of these things necessarily. But these items, these six different things are things that they all knew they would all understand. And ultimately, even as we look at them, they're so basic that we can understand them as well. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to look at here the idea that there are six pictures here. You'll see there's the bit mentioned in verse 3. There's the rudder mentioned in verse 4. There's the fire that's mentioned in verses 5 through 6. There's an animal or animals mentioned there in uh, verses 7 through 8. The fountain is referred to there at the end of the section, verses 9 through 11. And ultimately, a tree is ultimately mentioned there at the end here, the fig tree in verse 12, as James discusses and talks about those things, which are examples for us as how the tongue can have a certain power and exuberate a, a certain essence, a certain characteristic in our lives. And so as we think about those things, real quickly, I want you to see there are three powers here for us. First of all, the bit and the rudder show the first power, and it's a power to direct. If you want to go ahead and fill in the blank, you can. I may, I may be moving so fast, you may miss it as we get on there. But the first power we see here is from the bit and, and the, the rudder is the idea that the tongue has a power to direct the course of life. Secondly, we say that the second power is the fact that there is a power to destroy. And it's shown there by the example of the fire and the example of the animals, the wild animals that are discussed there in the scripture, verses 5 through 8. And the third power that we see outlined here in James chapter 3 that the tongue can use, the tongue can have, is I think a more positive spin. And we're going to take a more positive spin than all the negative necessarily on this third power. But it's a power to delight. I love alliteration if you don't notice but, uh, and this is, I can't take all credit for this, by the way, but um, these three powers all begin in D, but they're all three powers that, the, that the, the tongue can be seen to possess in our lives. And the question is going to be is, what do we want to embrace? What do we want our tongue to do? What power do we want our tongue to empower itself with? We want the power to direct. We want the power to destroy. Do we want the power to delight? Well, we may want two of the three. I don't think we, any of us want to destroy, but we've got to understand that the tongue can have both negative and positive effect on our lives and those that are around us. Real quickly, look there in verses 1 through 4, you've got the power to direct that's shown there from James, uh, from James using the bit and the rudder. He makes several points about our tongues here. First of all, uh, the, the strong point that he makes here is that direction does not require something large. It can be coming from something small. We should not ever imagine or think that we've got to have something of prominence, that someone has to be someone of, of authority, or maybe of some certain classification or class, or, or you know, some famous person to actually have power. It doesn't have to be someone who's elected into office to have power. In fact, what James uh, tells us here in the scriptures is that the tongue, being a very small member, each of us have power. And it can come from something small. It doesn't have to be something large. And I think that's interesting to, to, to think about the fact that the, it takes something small to turn about something so large. You know, one little coarse word could bring the downfall of a 500-member congregation. One negative comment could take down someone's whole life and self-esteem. 
You know, whether you, you've seen on TV a lot of times nowadays, is they're talking about cyberbullying. You see that on TV probably. Y'all seen the news stories. And, and there's been individuals and kids, teenagers, who have been bullied by words. Now, that, I think sometimes teens don't realize that, that written words are about as powerful as verbal words, but they are. Those negative posts or comments and people bashing them and talking negatively about them. So much to the the point that you have caused someone's self-esteem to diminish so much and so far that they actually commit suicide because of being bullied from online. Words can be powerful and it doesn't take much. It doesn't take a large amount. It can take one little word. It can take one little phrase. It can take one little situation or circumstance to change the course of someone's life. And here what we see is that direction, the power to direct, and the idea that direction in life does not require something large, but like the bit, which is a very small piece inside the, mouth, the horse's mouth, or like the rudder on a ship, comparatively speaking, you know, that rudder is very, very small compared to the rest of the size of that ship but it can change its whole direction. And that's what the tongue can do as well. It can change life for the negative or for the positive. It doesn't take much, even being a small member. Number two, direction requires overcoming contrary forces. And what we see in the scriptures here is that there are some times when small members, small things, can change direction. They can help direct. However, they have to go about going over and around or dealing with those contrary forces around them. Look at the example given there, the rudder. In fact, the, the verse 4 says, look at the ships, they're great, but they're also driven by strong winds. Yet the rudder can steer it. So the rudder battling the strong winds and those things which are storming around it can still help guide and direct those ships even in the greatest winds or the greatest storms. Even the small rudder can be directing at the inclination of wherever the pilot desires. You know, sometimes in our lives, the tongue can give direction too, but it's going to have to overcome some contrary forces. And I've listed a couple of things on your handouts there to, to try and, and, and make you think about this idea. But overcoming forces in our lives, you know, you think about the idea of Jesus telling us that we can steer. Well, how, how do we do that? What do we overcome? Well, the, our tongue must overcome all kinds of obstacles if it's going to properly direct someone or ourselves or others. In, in this course of life, it must overcome temptations around us. There's a lot of temptations for us to say something or to speak negatively. How many times have you been coerced into trying and brought into some conversation at the workplace or around the water cooler or in the break room talking negatively about somebody and you feel compelled, tempted to join the conversation? What about around us as well? You think about the provocations by others. When others do things negatively to us, we are provoked sometimes to say responses to them. We want a good comeback. We want to be able to slap them down with our words. And it's not always something we as Christians should do. I'm not saying you got to lay down and just take it. I think that if you get in a debate or your discussion with some other individual, there's nothing wrong with standing up for the truth and standing up for what's right. However, how we do it is another whole matter completely. We are provoked on the outside by individuals wanting us to succumb and do the things that they do. And we've got to overcome that challenge and that uh, force, that contrary force around us. And then also you see the idea of the challenges of, of self-control uh, and the idea of sometimes we just don't control our tongue. And that is a challenge among us and that is a, a huge challenge for some uh, more so than others. But we have got to overcome that challenge. We have to overcome that contrary obstacle in order for our tongue to properly direct us in the way that it should go. 
Uh, direction also comes or requires control by a strong hand. You think about this and you can think about the idea here in the passage of verse 4 that a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. It takes someone sometimes with a strong and steady hand to really guide that ship. Especially in those turbulent waters, right? I mean, it's not something you can just kind of let go and just, just expect it to kind of go where you think or where you want it to go. You've got to hold steady. You've got to hold strong. If you don't, that boat's going to go every which way and not the way probably you're wanting it to go. It takes a strong hand sometimes to direct and to do the things which we need to do. And you see in Scripture the, the idea of us making sure our mindset is with God. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 12, uh, which is a good verse for you to kind of underline and think about in this lesson. You might want to put it in the footnote there of, um, of James chapter 3. But in Matthew chapter 12, you're thinking about uh, Jesus as he's speaking and he's talking to uh, the uh, Pharisees around him. And he's really critiquing them for the use of their words. In verse 33 and 34, he gets pretty strong here. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. We've got to understand that it takes a strong person to direct the tongue in the proper ways. We've got to have our goals. We have to have our uh, priorities correct. And the, the, the bottom gist of all this is that it, our heart is going to be the telling tale of what our words are. In fact, let me flip that around. Our words are going to be the telltale sign of what our heart is. Because as Jesus says, those things which come out of our mouth tell us what fills up our heart. If you're speaking ill will to others, guess what your heart is full of? Ill will. If you're cursing at others, guess what your heart is full of? Cursing. If you're gossiping and talking about other individuals, putting them down, you know, talking badly about them to other individuals. And, and what is your heart full of? Bad and evil, negative thoughts. And it's not love. If it's love, would you be saying those things? If it's peace, would your mouth be saying those things? If it's joy, would, would your heart be saying those things? No, it would not. So what we say directly reflects what our heart is. And it takes a strong person a strong person to control what our heart is. You must guide and, and guard your heart with all your mind. You must focus upon Jesus. If you don't focus upon Jesus and, and God and those saving things which we see, your heart will not be full of that. And in, in effect, your mouth will not reflect that. It takes a strong, strong will to go about those things. Never underestimate the guidance that you can give by the words that you speak or do not speak. Jesus' words brought a woman living water in John chapter 4. Gave her that refreshment that only a spiritual source can give. You think back on the day of Pentecost, Peter's words brought about uh, guidance to more than 3,000 unto salvation there in Acts chapter 2. Giving them those things which they needed unto salvation came from Peter's words. And our words can truly guide ourselves and can truly guide others. It has the power to direct. 
Real quickly here, the power to destroy is exemplified by the idea of the fire and the animal. I, I think as you look at these five different things, the destructive nature of the tongue, it's, it's not too hard for us to understand. Many of us are acquainted with fires. We see news stories on TV about these tremendous forest fires that are set ablaze, especially in the western part of the U.S. where there's a more dryness than there is possibly in other areas, but we see it everywhere. Uh, you, you hear about these tremendous forest fires that get going and it takes a lot, a lot of those who are trying to put out the fire to get it under control. And we see the idea of the fire, and then we can also understand the idea of these wild animals, these animals that are out there, that, that these beasts, and, and, you know, we can just in our minds just kind of envision the idea of what James was kind of talking to these people about how they, they, they have a hard time taming them. Now, they can be tamed. I'm not saying it's impossible, but there are all these different types of animals that you see. And, and he talks about here, he says, you know, uh, all the creatures, that they're, they're tamed. They've been tamed by the human race, but no man can tame the tongue. And so the comparison there is that it can take a lot of power. It can take a lot of, uh, of, of time and training to do what is easily accomplished with, with animals. But what you see in these two examples is the power and what, what, what we see is the power to destroy and real quickly, what we see is destruction can start from something small again. It doesn't take something large. In fact, if you go back, and I did a quick Google search last night, uh, just trying, I was going to try and find a good story, but I knew I didn't have time for it really in today. But uh, the idea of uh, the forest fire set ablaze by just a single cigarette that someone has just flicked out the window, and it has caught on fire an entire forest. Brings about its all destruction. Or the idea that a whole forest can be put down because of a, a campfire that's not completely smoldered. You know, you still got those coals that had burned there and they somehow light and ignite the uh, dry leaves and sticks that are surrounding it and it ends up catching the whole fire, uh, the whole uh, forest on fire. The idea that it can start something small, it can become something so much bigger is really not something that is a question or a puzzle to us because we see the fact that there are something uh, that, that, that can be set ablaze by something so small. And we see that in our lives. Obviously, the, the, the Bible speaks very candidly about these things and about the power to destroy that the tongue says. Proverbs 26, verses 20 through 21, where no wood is and where the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The idea there is the burning coals. They, they may be smoldering, but they're still there. They're still hot. Other scriptures talk about this as well, about the, the, the idea that the tongue can heat things up in our lives. David wrote in Psalm 39, he said, I, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. There on down it says, my heart was not within me while I was musing the fire burn and then I spoke with my tongue. You know, have we ever had that kind of an experience there where we've been hot? Hot headed, I would say, not necessarily hot temperature wise. But we speak and we don't think about what it's going to catch on fire, but in fact it does. Uh, he who restrains his word has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding, Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. Fire not only starts small and grows, but it creates heat. It creates those things which actually will defile. And by defile, it's something that destroys something where you, you have to go back and really almost renovate to make it, where it what it should have been. Fire can defile to the point where you've got to go in and before you can even use the facility again, you've got to completely gut it. Now, I think we've seen those houses before. There's a house down our street. Uh, well, it's kind of in our, we drove by it every time going to church. 
off of Dalreda Parkway, and there's a couple of houses over, and we could see where this fire had destroyed the house to the point they had to get a new roof on it. And we saw it for probably weeks without getting a new roof. And I, I said to Monica, I'm sure it's held up in the insurance claims and whatnot. But finally, it looked like they started putting on a new roof. And in fact, they have constructed it and it's back there. It looks like it's back and being habitable again. But, you know, sometimes fire defiles a building to the point that it's uninhabitable until you go back in there and gut it. You fix it. You have to go back almost to the, the bare bones of the, of the building. Because fire has defiled it so much. So in our lives as well, the tongue can defile. It can hurt us to the point where the only thing that can wash away that defilement is going to be the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we have sinned with our tongue and it has defiled us. It has defiled others. And the only thing that can ever cause that to be remedied is the forgiveness and the blood of Jesus. The tongue can defile. Destruction can defile. Destruction can also hurt. We know fire hurts. You know, animals can hurt. Uh, Destruction can hurt. And in fact, it can be a hurt that may never go away before or may never go away again. I've got a scar on my hand right here uh, that uh, I haven't started putting that Moderma stuff. Supposedly that kind of helps make the scars go away. But what happened to my hand is I put it in the oven one day to try and grab something on the bottom rack and I hit the top rack. I'm sure y'all have all done that before. But man, it, it blistered up. You know, and I've got this reminder now when every time I put that hand in that oven, don't hit the top rack again. You know, but man, it hurts. And it pained me for weeks. You know, burns do that. Burns are something that, that, that are not easy to get over. And if any of you have ever seen anybody with second and third degree burns, those burns which are with them forever, they hurt. And they continue to hurt even after sometimes after they have healed somewhat. They, they have the pains that are still there. You think about broken bones. You think about things that, that animals can do. Dog bites, you know, those things hurt. You know, wild animals, they get a hold of you and tear you into pieces. If a bear gets a hold of you, you better watch out. You're going to be hurting, right? The destructive forces can hurt us. And that's what we see here is that the tongue can hurt us as well. It can hurt. It can, it can destroy our lives to the point that we actually hurt. We hurt, and I think you compare that to our spiritual lives. We can hurt spiritually as well as physically. We can hurt emotionally. You know, the tongue has that power to destroy. It has that power and its destruction to cause hurt and pain and suffering. And that's what the tongue can do if we allow it to do so. If others speak ill to us, it can hurt us. It can hurt us. If we speak ill to others, we can hurt them. And this power to destroy is very evident that we see in Scripture. Jesus himself even experienced it. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, of course, they called him a man who was gluttonous and a a wine-bibber. And those Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like him at all. They would call him names. And I can only imagine that he was still pained with the idea that everyone treated him the way they did, especially considering what he was doing for them. It's hard for me not to think that Jesus wasn't pained, that he didn't hurt And that's what the tongue can do in our lives today. Destruction can also spread further and faster than even expected. We talked about the wildfires, the fact they can go and they can spread. They can, you know, as James says in verse 6, it can set on the, the, it sets on fire the course of nature. It's the idea there, with one little spark, you actually have lit on everything. And there's destruction just spreads and spreads and spreads. You know, I think of the idea of gossip. I think of the idea of slander and the fact that if Christians engage in that, it can spread very quickly, especially in this multimedia world. Before getting the facts and before understanding the truth, people jump online and make comments or 
you know, say things, and that's not what Christians should do. And in fact, it spreads it much faster and much further than we ever could expect it to be. The power to destroy can spread. The power to destroy also can be restless and unruly. It can be one of those things that's very difficult, if not impossible, to tame. And you see that in the discussion of the wild animals as he talks about taming the tongue. And as James says, you know, no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison there in verse 8. You just think about the restlessness and the unruliness of poison in life. You think about those animals that have poison uh, in their blood. You think about the diseases that are literally poison to us as individuals and that can be spread. And, and those things are unruly. They're restless. They, they, they are something that's very difficult to control. And it can be something that can damage quickly and without uh, any help because we just don't know what to do sometimes. Poison can act act almost instantaneously, right? It's not something that can easily be controlled. Animals can go at you at the flicker of of a switch, it seems like. They can turn. I've heard stories before of dogs that have been so docile and so domesticated that all of a sudden, for some unforeseen, unknowable reason, have turned like on a little child and just chewed them up, literally. And you just think, well, what in the world? And we have to look back and go back to this verse and say, you know, Animals are animals. If they're animals, they're animals. We need to be cautious. We need to be careful. They can be tamed. Not easily, not always 100%. But then compare that to the power of the destruction of the tongue. And the fact that that here James compares it and says, hey, the tongue's even worse. The tongue's even worse. How many of you would take your child and go put them in the middle of a forest knowing there's a black bear out there? You wouldn't. You would never do that. But just think, what James says is the power and the destructiveness of the tongue is even worse than the animals. And he's true, he's right. Because that destruction can be so severe, it can be so great, so that we miss uh, what is in fact uh, there and we we forget those things which should be uh, most important to us. That the destruction is seen. The third one, third power, real quickly. I'm going to get through this, I promise you. Just like the uh, fountain and the tree, the tongue can bring delight into our lives. Yeah, Wayne. Right. We do. No, right, you're right, and I appreciate you emphasizing that, Wayne. Wayne says, you know, I kind of glazed over the fact of making sure Jesus Christ, and, and that is in our hearts, because that's what we want to come out, and that's the only way we can control. And he's right. That's the only way we're ever going to seek to control. Why does James say we, we can't control it? Because we can't. We cannot tame our tongue. There's only one way that the tongue can be tamed, and that's with the, the idea that Christ and that power the, the idea of Philippians 4.13, that, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's only one strength in this uh, that is able to, to, to tame the tongue, and that's going to be Jesus Christ. And that's going to be the fact that our lives become symmetrical with his will. And when our lives become symmetrical with his will, that's when our tongue can be tamed because that's what is in our heart, and that's what's going to come out of our mouth. And we can on, only really see that. We can only see that. That's the, the vice, the the the... the opposite of the, our idea of power to destruction. It's actually the power to heal and the power to control and the power to tame. We can have that and exemplify that in our lives, but only with the help of God. It's only with the help and the realization of who Jesus is and what he's done for us in our lives. And following that obediently through our faith, which obviously we talked about last week in chapter 2, 
You know, that's, that's how you control the tongue. That's how mature Christians can progress to the point where you control those things coming out from your mouth. Thirdly, finally here, you get the power to delight. The fountain and a tree, we see the example here. Delight comes from life-giving refreshment. We see that in the fountain. And the idea and concept of water and the parallels and the symbolic nature of that in our tongue. The tongue can bring about refreshment, revitalization. It can bring about life, both spiritually and physically, really, because that's what you see in the water and the ability to water. We've got to have water to survive, to be healthy, to, to really make it. I think they say we can go about it, what, maybe a, three or four days without drinking any water and having any intake, they're liquid. Uh, but, you know, you can go much longer than that not eating. But water is so much more essential to our lives that if we don't have it, we will die. And our tongue here is compared to the water that's given out from the fountain there. It's a life-giving refreshment to us, and that's how the tongue can be a delight to others. The power to delight can be, from the tongue, the idea of us giving life to others. How do we give life to others? Well, we give them encouragement, but more than that, we can actually tell them what they need to do to become saved. And that true life, that spiritual life, that, that example that we have there of us using our tongue to, for the power for good, we can delight others, and we can delight God, of course, too. But it can be a power to delight because we can provide life-giving refreshment to others with our tongue. We can teach them the truth. We can tell them what to do to be saved. And that delightment will come because of our words. Delight also comes from the idea of the cleansing ability of the tongue. And the power of, of, of delighting through cleansing... It's kind of seen in those words which we give to others and we try to, to repair and, and allow our relationships to get better. You know, you think back in the Old Testament, there's that laver in the Old Testament tabernacle that provided the cleansing for the, the priest's hands and feet. And so you had that water that was used there. And so here's an allusion again to the water that has been given. And what good is water for cleansing? Well, we see that our words can help cleanse and sanctify others. Our words ought to be like that river in Ezekiel 47 that brought life to everything it touched. Our tongue, you know, should be something that gives a breath of fresh air to those that are around us. We should be seen as a positive individual. We should be seen as individuals who are encouragers, those who don't down or, or give things or give uh, negativism to other individuals. It, it becomes that idea that we cleanse their lives because we give good words to them. And that really goes hand in hand with number three. Delight comes from providing shelter or encouragement. The idea that we can actually provide assistance through our words to other individuals. Our words will also lead to action, by the way. It should at least. And so you see there the idea that our words, when used properly, will help lead us not only to shelter and encourage other individuals, but also to take action to do those things in our lives. And also delight comes from bearing fruit. And you see that in the tree there. We can delight by providing and doing the fruit that God wants us to do and provide. You know, a a tree, a fig tree produces figs. You know, what we have in our lives are what we're going to produce. And so we must understand that we will produce after the kind that we are. And if we are good, we are people who are talking with righteous talk, and we are talking with things that emphasize those things which are good, then ultimately we're going to be able to produce those things which are good in our lives as well. Real quickly, I want to look at verses 15 through 18. And I'm not going to be able to hit all these notes. I may, if this doesn't hurry up, I may have to just do it next week. Here we go. 
about to ring the bell on me anyways. But the idea of verses 15 through 18 is what, where to get wisdom. And I want to look real quickly at those verses, and we'll pick up here next week if we, don't remember, if we don't get done. But verses 13, I'm sorry, through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the greatness and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which is down from above, but is earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see here in the latter part of this, this chapter here, we move on from the tongue and the idea of teaching and, and, and admonishing and encouraging one another and the, the, the proper use of the tongue. And then we get into the wisdom aspect. Well, how does this correlate to those uh, who wanted to be teachers that we see in verse 1? You know, there's a warning there, you know, from uh, those who want to be teachers. Well, you think here at this passage, and I encourage you to read over it again next week as you go on to read chapter 4 again too, but it's not simply enough to stand before people and say good words. It's not just simply enough to say words. You've got to be able to say something, Right? You've got to be able to say something. And that something's got to be something good. And then ultimately what, what James is emphasizing to us, it's not just using our tongue for good things. It's not just using it for the good power. But it's actually using our tongue and utilizing the wisdom from above as we use our tongue. We'll look at this real quickly before we move into chapter 4 next week. Appreciate y'all's kind attention.